This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it, and we pray you would do so today once again by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In the scriptures, we are used to seeing Jesus meeting the poor, the sick, and the oppressed. But today we encounter someone who was none of those things. This story features in three of the Gospels. Mark calls him rich, Matthew tells us he was young, and Luke calls him a ruler. Thus we have the story of the rich, young ruler. By all accounts, he was a respectable, self-made man. I imagine he had a strong work ethic, that he lived a moral life and likely was not guilty of any kind of excessive living. As far as we can tell, he was successful, respectable, and wealthy. My guess is that he firmly believed that great maxim, God helps those who help themselves, which, by the way, does not come from the Bible. It's worth remembering, however, by way of context, that in those days, wealth, honestly gained, was a sign of respectability and standing in the community. And more than that, was seen as a sign of God's blessing. That is still true today in some circles where the so-called prosperity gospel is taught. This teaching, and I would add this false teaching, says that health, wealth, and prosperity are a reward and a sign of someone's faithfulness as a Christian. Well, the first thing that's striking in this man's approach to Jesus is that he runs up to him. He is eager. Next, he kneels before Jesus. He is sincere. We're not given any reason to think he's not genuine. And I hope that we too will be eager and sincere as we consider our lives and what really counts. The rich young ruler had age, wealth, and status on his side. But was that enough? His question about eternal life is the most important question a person can ask. Last weekend, many of us were away on our annual parish retreat, and we did a deep dive into Psalm 46, considering the past, the future, and the present. And one of the spiritual exercises that we engaged in together at three different times was the practice of St. Ignatius, uh, of the examine. We did a 12-hour examine on the Friday night, looking back on the previous day. We did a 12-month examine. And then later on Saturday, we also did a whole life examine based on some of the verses in the psalm, Psalm 90, that we just read a moment ago. And we took time to ask some very important questions about our lives. As we said together uh, earlier, the psalmist says, the days of our life are 70 years, though some be so strong that they come to 80 years. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. According to the Bible then, our life expectancy is 70 to 80 years. 
According to the CDC's latest figures published in February this year, the unadjusted life expectancy in the US for the population as a whole, if you're born today, is 77.8. So not much has changed over the past many thousands of years. Well, the exercise we engaged in last weekend was to think of our 80 or so years, divide them into four quadrants on a piece of paper, uh, plus some extra time for those who do live uh, above 80, which is great. And some of you are here today, and we're delighted. Um, but the object was to take an honest look at our lives, past, present, and future. Where have we seen evidence of God with us? Where have we experienced his strength? We also considered what we are looking forward to and where we might be fearful or have requests of God. Well, one question that we would all do well to ponder in that exercise as we consider our lives is the question the rich young ruler asked Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We don't know what prompted this man to come to Jesus as he thought about his life. But something did. For all his wealth and youthful vitality, he seems to recognize that something is missing. And he's concerned to know about his eternal destiny. He seems to understand that Jesus is a great teacher and someone who may have the key to eternal life. And so he asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? After challenging him as to why he called him good, Jesus takes the man's request literally concerning what he must do. Jesus reminds him of the second half of the Ten Commandments. These were the commandments that speak about right behavior, about what to do or not do. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, etc. And to keep these commandments, we know, is not easy, especially if we interpret them as Jesus did. You may remember how he said to have hatred for another is as good as murder. To look at a person lustfully is as good as adultery. But taken literally, as no doubt this rich man did, these were laws that he could say that he had kept. Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. He gives himself a high grade. Jesus takes him at his word, and his response is one of great compassion. Jesus looked at him and loved him. There's no suggestion that this man is a fraud. Presumably, he's worked hard and he feels blessed. But Jesus sees past his niceness, his eagerness, his achievements of this self-made man, and responds by challenging him to the very core of his being. He asks him to give up all that he has worked so hard to achieve. Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. What a tragic outcome. I think this is the only place in the Gospels where someone who is directly invited to follow Jesus walks away, refusing to come. And the reason? Well, for this man, it was his money. 
He wanted a way that didn't require him to change his values or his lifestyle. But Jesus asked him to do both. When challenged to take an honest inventory of his life, to consider his three score years and ten, to see where his true allegiance lay, this man thought that he could somehow earn eternal life, that there was something he could do to attain it. Now, of course, he isn't the first or last person ever to think that way. But if you think about the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, you'll see that the question is fundamentally flawed. He's asking about an inheritance, which by its very nature is a gift. There's nothing anyone can do to get an inheritance. Well, I suppose apart from kill someone, but let's not go there. The, The rich man has missed the point of his own question. He seems to view eternal life as something that can be achieved or earned instead of what it is, an inheritance. The idea that God will help those who help themselves because they somehow deserve eternal life because of how good they are or how hard they have worked is absurd. Not one of us, not one, deserves God's forgiveness. No one can merit eternal life. Eternal life is a gift from God. And like an earthly inheritance, this gift is actually available only because someone has died. Jesus' death on the cross is the only way that eternal life has been made possible. It's only by setting aside those things that consume us and by giving up our self-reliance and following Jesus that we can have eternal life. And yet, while we can't do anything to inherit eternal life, we can do something about those things that may get in the way of us receiving what God wants to give us. At the end of the day, being a follower of Jesus is not about being moral or nice or having everything going for you. Being a Christian is about salvation, and only God can save us. Jesus spoke the truth to this man lovingly and plainly, and interestingly, and perhaps unlike what we might be tempted to do, did you notice he didn't go running after this rich man when he went away? He let him go. The rich young ruler may have had a full bank account, but his heart was surely empty. Jesus wasn't telling the man to give away his money because the poor needed it, though I'm sure they did. He was telling the man to give his money away because he needed to be rid of it. Because for this man, his wealth and his attitude towards it were preventing him from following Jesus. And so as you look at your life, Where does your confidence lie? In what or in whom do you put your trust? Where is your ultimate hope? Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and loved him. He invited him to follow him. And there and then that man faced a choice. Do I trust my money, my security, my success, myself? 
Or do I trust Jesus? Well, he made his choice. He walked away. I, I guess ultimately we don't know what happened to him. Maybe he came to his senses. Maybe he did one day some other thing, but we're not told that. Jesus put his finger on where this man's real allegiance lay. He had made an idol out of his success, his money, his respectability, his law-keeping, and his hard work. And Jesus' invitation to him to go and sell his stuff and come follow him was an appeal to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any other idol. Jesus summarized the law as we repeat at the start of our services each week, and we did today. You shall love the Lord your God, finish it with me, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's a grenade that will blow up your life. That's what it was for the young man who came to Jesus. How easily any of us can put someone or something other than God in first place in our lives. That's what idolatry is, putting anything above God. That's an idol. It's easy to love God in theory. It's easy to say we will follow Jesus when all is going well in our lives. It's easy to come to church, sing the hymns, listen to the sermon, say the creed, and affirm our belief and trust in God. But what happens when those things in our lives that really matter to us are challenged or come undone. For the rich man, it was his money. But what about for you? What would that one thing be? Who or what in your life is coming between you and Jesus between you and eternal life and eternal life is not just something for when we die eternal life is the life God longs to give us now today as we walk with him who or what have you not surrendered to God but instead have made into an idol by the way idols always disappoint they never fulfill, they never satisfy, they never give you what they promise, never. I wonder what might Jesus be calling you to let go of or embrace in order that you may be freed up to receive the gift of his love and healing and forgiveness. People or things or attitudes can have a hold over us and can so easily come between us and God. It could be money. It could be past sins or failings or hurts. It could be a wrong relationship or a secret sin, a grudge or a resentment. Is there something that you will not let go of? It always breaks my heart when I hear people say, I will not forgive that person. Well, there is good that we can learn from the rich young ruler. Like him, we, we should come to Jesus this morning. Come running, eager to see what he might say to you. Like the rich man, kneel before Jesus. Ask the question. Ask the same question. What must I do? And then, 
listen to what Jesus may say to you. Be aware of the thoughts that come into your mind. Take stock of what the Holy Spirit may convict you. You know, we, we pray every time we preach, asking God to do that, right? He might want to do that now. But I have to warn you, like the rich man, you might be shocked with what Jesus has to say. Jesus told the man to do something pretty extreme. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What might Jesus be saying to you? And please note, those things in our lives that keep us from God and being all out for God may not be in and of themselves intrinsically bad or wrong. They just got in the wrong place. And if they are a barrier between us and God, then they must be surrendered. For God demands first place in our hearts above everyone and everything else. What if God said to you, I want you to stop behaving in a certain way, a way you feel may be entitled to behave, but deep down you know is wrong? What if God said, I want you to give up that relationship that's pulling you away from me? Would you? What if God said, I want you to trust me with that problem or that person that you just can't fix or control or change? Will you? Or will you instead hold on to your money, your desires, your resentments, your status? Those wants you insist must be fulfilled in a certain way. If God is convicting you today of whatever or whomever you are putting before him, don't be like the rich young ruler. Jesus invites you to let go of whomever or whatever stands between you and God so that you can receive this wonderful inheritance that he has promised and he longs to give. Jesus never promises us an easy ride. He never promised health, wealth, and prosperity. That's absolute tosh. He never promised that. On the contrary, he warned we may actually face persecutions and yet he promises us life eternal life and it comes down to a question of trust do you believe that Jesus has your best interests at heart or do you somehow have a corrupted notion of God that makes you think he's out to get you please let go of that he is not out to get you and so will you trust Jesus with your singleness your marriage your job your home your children your health Will you trust Jesus with, and you fill in the blank? I imagine some of you may be thinking, but this is too hard. Well, if you are thinking that, you're in good company, because that's exactly what the disciples thought. Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man uh, to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were greatly astounded and said to one another, one another, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things 
are possible. And so no matter how hard it may be to receive this word and act upon it, no matter how impossible it may seem, and you might be thinking, but Jonathan, you don't know what it is that's in my mind. You don't know how hard it is. And that's true, I don't. But God does. And with him, nothing is impossible. God is not out to get you. He has your very best interests at heart because he loves you. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. I don't know what or who may be coming between you and God. I don't know whether God may be asking you to let go of something in order that you may receive the, light, the life that he offers. But I hope and I pray that you would not be like that rich young ruler who went away sad. Rather, that you would come follow Jesus and be the person he is calling you to be and that you would do whatever he asks you to do in order that nothing may come between you and God's great love for you. How do you receive this word? How will you go out of here this morning? Will you go away sad? I hope not. No one's going to chase after you if you do. But please don't. Stay a while. And whatever it is that you have put in God's place, bring it to the foot of the cross. You might do that as you come forward for communion today. And then do whatever it is that Jesus is asking you to do. Amen.